Welcome back to Talk L&D. In this episode, Alex and I do some book reviews of books which we think can be really helpful for your learning development. And books are great because they're accessible to everybody to support you with your development. We hope you enjoy this episode. As ever, we love to hear your feedback. And if there's any books you'd like us to review for future episodes, please let us know. And if you do enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us and share us on social media. It helps other people find find us. So thanks for tuning in and happy listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Talk L&D. We've got Alex back with us today. Hi, Alex. How are you? Very well, thanks. Morning. Morning. Yes, we're here nice and early. Early, early doors. <laughs> we like early doors. We like early doors. Make the most of the day. Um, so this episode, we thought uh, we've had quite a few guests on. We thought we would talk about uh, do some book reviews um, of some good books for learning and development, because it's a really quick and easy way to access some development for yourself. by reading. Talk about some of the books that me and Alex are quite big readers, obviously, in learning and development. So we thought we'd talk about a couple of books that we've read. Um, and then you might want to go away and read them or just take what the, the bits that we've talked about them. Um, but we're both big fans of Matthew Saeed, Rebel Ideas. Mm. Um, so Alex, talk to us what you liked about this book, what you thought about it. Um, and if there was anything you didn't like about this book and what you learned from it. Oh, I, I thought this book was great. I thought it was a very much a continuation of black box thinking, actually. So um, Black Box Thinking is probably his most well-known book. And, and that was excellent. That was excellent. That's probably yeah. my top three of all time. Um, actually, it's, it's interesting. You can see the lineage. There's another book um, which was written in about the mid-2000s called Influencer. And there's quite a lot of that in Black Box Thinking. So Black Box Thinking, to me, is very much about influence. Um, Rebel Ideas is primarily about diversity uh, but it's uh, not a it's not a political view of diversity it's it's a very pragmatic very sort of ideas focused book on on diversity and it's about how diversity can lead to innovation um, I think one of my favorite bits actually is when he talks about fusion of ideas and um, people with diverse experiences fusing their, their ideas together and uh, put very simply it's the day when the suitcase met the wheel oh yes and, it's great, yeah great. and how initially there was quite a lot of resistance to that idea a lot of people thought it was a silly idea but how that idea sort of has developed and grown to to, net, to now being the case where that's sort of how suitcases are built yeah do you know I was like, that's so interesting because with innovation, and I think that an, an element goes back to black box thinking in terms of failure and not giving up at failure and understanding that failure is part of the journey. And I was reading that book, I was like, that is so funny because every suitcase I've owned in the last few years all have wheels on it and it's just the status quo. But back when they, this, this man was first trying to sell this idea of we should put wheels on suitcases and he was just being told, no, that's ridiculous. No one's going to want that. And um, so, yeah, so I thought it was a really interesting story. Like it's, it, I think, like you said, it's not a political book, but I think it's a book that's very relevant for our times in terms of diversity with everything that is going on. And I love the idea of collective intelligence. And he talks a lot about the more diverse your team, the stronger the collective intelligence. And actually, um, evidence suggests that uh, diverse teams actually perform 
better um, and produce better innovation, which I thought was really interesting. I think um, I think that's that is a that is that's an interesting. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. I think in practice, actually, I think it's quite difficult to do mm. uh, because you will get with that. So almost before you get to the innovation, I think you can often see quite a lot of disagreement. And so, so I think um, that you know, a complex, diverse team is a particularly difficult thing to manage. If um, if there's a lot of agreement and people, people, you know, people generally see eye to eye on things, and you don't have that disagreement, you don't have that debate, then I think you get things done quickly and easily. Um, so in certain sort, of, you know, the sort of operational, you know, sort of tactical situations, there is actually a kind of a case I think for simplicity sometimes. But where the where there's where there's genuine complexity, so the, mm -hmm. the, the problems that you kind of solve are, are, are um, um, multi-dimensional have many different potential outcomes um, and can imp impact a broad array of people in different ways, then um, then simpli simpl simpl simplicity generally leads to bad solutions. And, and that's, I think, where Matthew Syed's sort of argument really comes in. It's uh, when you're dealing with complexity. Yeah. So, um, so complexity and uh, where what you're going to be doing, the, the, the outcomes of your work are going to impact a, a wide array of people that's where you need a multitude of perspectives to be brought into that uh, problem-solving decision-making space. Yeah, definitely. And and he has some in interesting examples as well, doesn't he? He sort of he talks about 9-11 um, and how um, the lack of diversity, I think it was is it CIA. CIA. Yeah, yeah, the lack of diversity created a blind spot so that they, because they just didn't have a level of awareness of of, of Islam and how um, the Muslim religion works. So they had blind spots and they have argued that if they had had more diversity in the organization, potentially they might not have had such a blind spot to it. I thought that was fascinating actually. I yeah. really enjoyed reading about that. Yes. Um, and then he talks actually, I found that example of Amazon as well. In Amazon apparently, when they have a meeting and they have a report to read, there's silence for the first bit of the meeting and everyone has to read the memo. And basically the idea is they all have to really think about what they're going to offer to the group. Um, and so that before they start hearing other people's opinions, they've really thought about what they're going to say. And I thought that was quite an interesting, I mean, Amazon is quite interesting. The more I read about them, sort of they have that empty chair, don't they, for the guests and then the for silence. The yeah. yeah, before um, people are allowed to report on um, the reports that they're, they're reading and offer contributions to the group. And I think the other thing I, I found interesting about this book was um, hierarchy uh, and how hierarchy can affect people's contributions. So I don't know if it, they were talking about Mount Everest and um, there was a particularly bad year where quite a lot of people died and that he did this sort of looking into decision making on the mountains. And um, when people are from cultures where there's a real hierarchy, they're less likely to speak up if there's a safety issue, even though that safety issue is, could affect people's, people's lives. And he was saying in situations like that, while you need to have one leader, if people aren't, people can see things. So that's where you get these blind spots. And if they're not able to speak up and say, actually, I don't think this is very safe. And actually in that, that's what caused some deaths on Mount, Mount Everest. And I thought that was yeah. really interesting about, um, hierarchies and psychological safety and feeling able to speak up even if it might be against 
against the the leadership and why that's important um and i think he talks about uh i think in some places it's leaders speak last so everyone gets to share their opinion and the leader will speak last to make sure that everyone's actually speaking their, yeah. their truth and i thought that was quite interesting yeah that that actually relates to the to the next book i'll, I'll talk about but because it's interesting where you see the patterns uh, starting to develop in terms of modern leadership thought um the hierarchy bit was particular was really was interesting because he he doesn't dismiss hierarchy it's not that hierarchy is a bad thing but he says that there are different types of hierarchy mm -hmm. and this is something that I, I i went and looked into more actually after i read the book which is always a good sign because it kind of got me curious mm -hmm. but yeah he he talks about um uh, dominance hierarchies and prestige hierarchies and the dominance hierarchies are all about power and that's where you, you can see degrees of corruption tyranny um you know and where um people defer to people based on seniority mm -hmm. so, uh, people within the hierarchy um but then he also talks about hierarchies of prestige which um are particularly human um phenomena um where the um the people who um, people look up to so the people who become leaders within groups are the the, are the people who are competent and others are drawn to because because of their competence of their personality so they become so, so there's a sort of natural leadership form that forms based on the people that others look up to mm -hmm. so um i which was a very um which was which was really interesting and I, I was sort of mulling this over and and i even look at so my own little village you know one thing because i i one, one thing that interested me was when, when we when it floods so it floods in my part of the world we always get um the flood team come out and there's a local farmer there's a couple of other sort of local characters who've lived in the village their whole lives and then there's a few volunteers like me who we we all sort of roll out and help out and we set up the pumps and we take it in turns to switch the pumps on and off and it's fairly laborious but it's also good because it brings the community together but what i've um every time that happens uh, particularly the first time it happened back in 2015 where it was really it flooded like like it's never flooded before um it was interesting how the local farmer who had all the contacts with the environment agency knew the drainage system really well because he you know his generations living in this village um how he just everybody he just he just he just naturally became the leader of this group um Interesting. you know yeah because of because of his his competence his knowledge he really just knew what he was doing and he could mm. pick up his mobile phone and chat to the local environment agency and get things done and and so this this very natural hierarchy um, formed, and it was um, there was no method to that. It was just a natural. It was a natural thing, and it was based on on competence. Um, and um, and that's always stayed with me. That you know, and it was great. It worked really well. It worked really well. Mm. Now, <laughs> yeah, had, had you had had you had a more structured approach, and somebody had put themselves in the position of boss and all that sort of stuff, then I think you probably would have seen a lot more jostling, and uh, potentially mm, yeah. resistance. But because it was a very natural hierarchy that formed on based on based on competence everybody well it it, it it was it, acceptance was part of how it formed mm. so you know interesting though interesting very interesting it's so interesting isn't it how situations like that things just evolve kind of all organically yeah. don't they for us can say what's interesting about that is he 
was naturally put in that leadership because he was very competent. And that sometimes happens in organizations, isn't it? Someone's really high performing in a role, we'll put them in leadership, but then actually just because someone's really high performing in a role doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna have the skills to lead. And I, I've seen that in positions. So someone might be really great at sales and they're like, right, brilliant. They're brilliant at sales. Like they're, they're, they're hitting all their targets, hitting all their KPIs. And then they put them in the leadership position, not understanding that actually they're two quite different roles. And sometimes then they actually can't perform in the leadership because they're not ready or they haven't had the support because leading your teams is quite different to performing well at certain tasks. Um, I've sometimes seen, seen that where it's not quite translated. It does. Uh, I think, uh, I think you get that in, um, hierarchical tall, tall organizations where people do get, they get promoted and they get promoted by higher ups because they are successful at hitting commercial targets and that sort of thing, or, or, you know, or time served or, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And. You know, the world's getting better sort of understanding mm -hmm. that there can be a few trip hazards when that happens and uh, mm -hmm. that we do need to kind of give people the um, the emotional intelligence skills to um, to effectively lead the team of people that they were that they were pre you know yesterday they were peers with so so yeah. so so yeah that is that is that is a, a challenge I think that you do see um, but then you also get I think more entrepreneur increasing numbers of small entrepreneurial organizations um and this this to me is 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 particularly interesting and i wonder whether there's something that the big the larger corporates could take from this where um where where where, where there's much uh, a much flatter structure mm. um, so more agile more entrepreneurial and the people who become leaders are the natural leaders yeah yeah Interesting. And it's rather than being promoted in the leadership role, it is more organic than that. Mm. So actually, it's sort of the people that have natural <coughs> leadership talent, because actually it's different, isn't it? You could be very high performing and functional at hitting your KPIs, but it doesn't necessarily make you a great leader. But then you could have somebody else who maybe isn't so task driven, but really good mm. with people and they're very That's different right. skill set. And I think... Yeah. You know, it's great to promote people that are really good at their jobs, but you've got to ensure that you're giving them the training and the support that they need to develop. Because otherwise, it's a two-way thing. You're putting them in a position that they might not be ready for, but also, if they go into that role and they're not ready, it's setting them up to fail, and that's a really horrible experience for somebody that goes and gets promoted and then they they struggle. Um, but it's almost like that. That it comes back to that agile way of working, isn't, mm -hmm. isn't it? Of like that, um, you know everyone's working to their strengths and we bring those to that team that team to, to I, I i think i think um, there's something about perception here as well so who's to say who the leaders are in an organization yeah you know yeah. is it is it for i don't know the you know the um the executive you know to say right you've you've done really well you're you are now a leader is does that work um is it is it for me to say, well, I've been promoted into a team leader or a middle manager job. I'm now a leader. Is that <laughs> is that is that right? Is that does that work? Um, sometimes it might, and sometimes it won't. I suspect. But the 
um, hierarchy of prestige is that actually, well, it's not down to me. It's down to the people that I work with. It's down to my colleagues. And if they perceive me as a leader, then great, I'm a leader. Mm. But it's not for me to say. Yeah. Perhaps even for the big bosses to say. It's actually it's for it's for the team to say. So a little bit like the flood committee, there was um, absolutely no disagreement. Our local farmer, I won't name him just in case, by some extraordinary <laughs> set of circumstances, to ever hear this. Not <laughs> but um, but it's um, you, you know he was um, he is perceived to be the leader of that group. And there's that's um, he wouldn't call himself that he would probably he probably wouldn't accept it. He would shy away from it because he wouldn't want the, he, you know, um, he, he might worry that he'd be asked to fill in some paperwork or something, um, you know, <laughs> but he is very much perceived by the team to be by that team to be the leader. And everyone looks up to him. And 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 that's where the perception is. It's, it's a very, de very democratic way of having leaders, isn't it? It's like. Exactly. You're a leader like by by people believing in you, essentially. Yeah, and, that's right. and, and actually, in some ways, that's probably the best way to become a leader, because if, if people believe in you and you've had that influence for because what is lead, leadership is essentially being able to influence others. That's what, what kind of part mm. I knew, set, set the path. Mm. Um, yes. So if other people, the people that you're leading believe in you and they want you to be there, I mean, Sometimes that happens. People are like I don't, I don't want to be a leader. <laughs> it's like all well, tough. You, you are. That's that's where you are. People, people want you. You know, it's people often, believe in you. Probably often the way, often yeah. the way actually. Um, mm. uh, that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. Whether there's something about um, people being, um, you know, in uh, um, involuntary leaders. Um, but they are people who who have the respect and are able to influence their colleagues. Mm. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Anyway, so so I think it's fair to say that Matthew's side's book goes down some very interesting avenues. Yeah, it's fascinating. Do you know what? If I was to recommend a book to read, you know, for your personal development, I would probably say it would be this Rebel Ideas, Matthew Said. It's very mm. good. And also yeah. just quickly throw in that his other book, which you've mentioned, Black Box Thinking, mm. is yeah. also very, very good. Um, and that one more focuses on kind of talks a bit more about sort of failure, doesn't it? And why failure is important and talks about high performance, fascinating um, ideas about cognitive dissonance, mm, uh, yeah. which is basically when you are so definite in your thinking about something that even when someone presents evidence, which is against that um, idea, it you, you just won't believe it. And actually the impact that that has on on many different things it's a fascinating it's a fascinating book the fascinating um, the book. more the more evidence that gets presented that conflicts with your point of view the more stubbornly entrenched yes you yes become and you're, yes i've definitely experienced that um and he has some very fascinating examples around um the criminal justice system in america healthcare system aviation so there's some real great real life examples um but yeah anything by matthew saeed i think definitely worth a read but i would really say rebel ideas is a great one for our time um and moving on to that it's sort of a similar vein i've just read invisible women exposing data bias in a world designed for men by caroline credo perez um and actually this was voted 
winner of the FT McKinsey Business Book of the Year back in 2019 um, and Science Book Prize winner as well 2019 so it's won a fair number of awards but it's actually quite interesting reading it not long after Rebel Ideas because there is some crossover with it because again she talks about collective intelligence and why not having women um, equally at sort of the table at leadership um, has a, actually has a negative impact because women are 50% of the population. And basically this whole book is about how most data and research that exists in the world is based on the idea that humans are men. And so there's this massive data gap when it comes to women and it, it crosses so many things about healthcare. Uh, I mean, Alex were talking before we, we jumped on about um, crash dummies. So in when they're testing cars, the dummies are set to the sort of demographic of a man. And actually that has an impact because cars then aren't designed to be safe as safe for women because they're not designed for our shape, our shape and our size because women are different shapes and sizes to men. It talks about um, also things like the impact of unpaid work. So this is really interesting bit of the book actually about the cost that when we talk about GDP in countries, we don't include the unpaid work that women do, which is out like, massive i think it's like 25 percent of the it would be 25 percent of the gdp or something like that um off the top of my head and actually if women stopped were stopped doing the unpaid work the cat catastrophic effect it would have and i just found it really fascinating a really fascinating read actually because you realize how much there is a gap in in everything when it comes to women and you don't even stuff that you don't even realize and actually the impact that that has and actually when women come to the table when women are in leadership it benefits everybody because they make policies that um they more push forward policies for commute that, that enhance communities um and better policies for for public sector um and i just found it really quite a fascinating and quite a timely timely read and I think I think it's a book that everybody should read actually in terms of diversity um there's so many literally she goes through every single bit of society almost and how there's a data gap and so so much because there's this data gap in in um research for women like from healthcare to education to leadership to transport sort of every bit of our infrastructure there is, is gaps and women are having to, we just, basically we're told just get on with it, just deal with it and we find ways around it. But ultimately what it says, very similar to Matthew Saeed is when you bring that diverse thought to the table, it has a positive impact. So why aren't we doing it? Oh yeah. Um, and, and it was interesting because some of the things you quote in this book Matthew Saeed quoted in his there was some cross I was like oh I've, yes, I've just yes, read that recently yes. um yes, it's, it's, it's funny how you see you know in terms of your the time and mm -hmm. you know the, you know you see patterns and ideas that you know very much symbolic of the time or um, you know yeah emblematic of, of the time that we're in and and these are these are the issues in um certainly in in um um Western society now it's all about uh, try, really trying to trying to work out these um, the, the these these problems and I think um, I, th I, th I think yeah the one on, on equal pay is an interesting thing you know of course you know traditionally that's 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 always been a difficult one because mm. of how do you how do you commoditize um, 
how do you evaluate uh, the work, you know, kind of like um, working, you know, ma managing the home and mm. those sorts of things. But I, what, what I, what I perceive, and I think is a different question, is um, as the trend goes much more from traditional roles, more to partnerships. Uh, so mm. um, that actually, it's you, you are a, as, a, as a family unit, you're actually a bit of a, your team, and you now increasingly i mean so, so i look at you know actually in our family my wife's the one with the proper job so um <laughs> we are we we you know we um i don't think you'd have to ask her whether she would agree with this but it's actually the um we both try and balance careers and family equally so we are we are a team trying to, trying to hold it all together and do it all and um and I wonder whether that's a um, different, perhaps a different perspective on this, uh, that actually as society evolves, um, it's looking at actually rather than, you, you know, individual, you know, roles being different, mm -hmm. it's actually that, you know, we we have a, we each take a 50-50 stake in, in this game. And um, I, I think that that's, I think it's starting to move in that sort of direction with, um, you know, uh, parental leave um, being, yeah. you, you know, being more evenly distributed and more and more people taking that up as well, because I think it's one thing to have that in the law, it's a different thing for it to become a social norm. And it's, it is getting there, it's becoming yeah. more common um, that, that people are doing that. And then I think you're able to have a, um, um, I, I, I think a, um, a more balanced, but more balanced roles. Um, yes, definitely. Where we, we each have a 50% role in the domestics, you know, in, in, in family unit. We each have a 50% role in the professional mm. sort of world. And, and it, I mean, it's complicated because, because I don't think employers necessarily, necessarily are there in terms of um, balanced expectations, but I feel that it's going in that direction. Yeah, it's a really, it's a very good point, actually. And I, they do talk about that actually in terms of um, sort of the men, women at work that actually, uh, so they give an example of a woman, she's like an executive and she's the only woman on the team, but she's a single parent. And there's this expectation of we just go out for dinners and we have drinks. And she's like, well, I can't just, I'm a single pet. Whereas yeah. the men don't have, necessarily, you know, and it, it's not to say it never happens, but it's less likely. And then became, she talks about um, what can you charge on expenses? So they were all fine to book a hotel, five star and claim that back on expenses. But then she was like, well, can I pay for a babysitter on my expenses? Because actually that is what I need to do to come out for this thing. But then, and this was in America. So in their sort of American um, sort of tax expenses, you're not allowed to put things like that through, through expenses. So things like that, which is quite interesting. I think also to note that this book is looking at data globally. So in places like the UK and stuff, we are moving, but obviously um, in other parts of the world, they are not as far forward as um as us but it was really fascinating mm. things like they talk about snow clearing so traditionally um snow clearing they will clear the roads first because they view that that's um the most economical way so that people can get to work and that's you know the best thing to do um financially however when they started to research what they found was um women don't, are less likely to, to, to drive because they're on a lower income and they're less likely to have cars, so they use public transport. And actually what they did when they found with the research, most of the injuries that go into hospital because of snow is from women falling. 
and elderly who are using the pass. So actually, once they've done this research, they realised it was actually more economical to clear the, the paths first over the wow. road. And yeah. it actually brought, because the cost of dealing with the injuries in the hospitals was more expensive. And once they switched doing that, they actually it brought costs down. But I mean, isn't I mean that that's an example of, of the data bias it's, because it's very good, yeah. Assuming well, that because often the planners um, are generally more male and think in a, a male way, and that that's part of the thing. It's not just about data; it's about sort of so much of policies and things like that are, are based on this. Well, this is this is what it means to be human, and this is what it means to live your life. And I so many examples of it, and I think not just sort of for public policy, but also in business. If 50% of your, your client base is women, how are you truly serving that? Or are you thinking, in, it just makes you think differently. Well, hang on a minute, actually. Whose perspective are we seeing this from? And is this perspective really going to help us in the direction of our, our business? Do we need somebody else's perspective? I yeah. just, it was, it, it's really fascinating, really fascinating. As I say, I think with what's going on in the world, sort of with this whole sort of diversity and equality, which is always a conversation. Yeah. These two books sat quite nicely with each yeah. other I think in quite different ways but it was, right. the, the fascinating yeah. absolutely fascinating I, I think the snow clearing example is a really good really good one about um, where are we um, being evidence-based in our decision making and where mm. where are we making assumptions yes yes exactly she's got so many examples of like that as well so yeah. it, it's, it's if it was so what the thing about all these things is you realize just how incredibly complicated these decisions are because you have to that again, yeah, you can't think um, simply about these sorts of social issues. You've got to think systematically, mm, you know, yeah. and, and no one person has those answers. No, which is why it. you need new, different, like you said, it's different perspectives around the table mm. when it comes to these complex issues to make sure mm. you've covered all, um, all aspects of it. And I think when it comes to people and their lives, it's never going to be black and white. Unfortunately, people are coming to all shades of grey and all their needs yeah. in all shades of grey. Um, and I think while these, you know, this book focuses a lot on public policy and things like that, I think, you know, if you've got an organisation, if you've got the larger your team, the more grey it's going to be in terms of managing and leading your team. So um, does your leadership respect, um, not respect, um, reflect mm. your, the team that you have? Yeah. And does it reflect your guests and your customers as well? Because if you're making these decisions, are you thinking about all the different needs these people have? I think that's why I'm drawn to this prestige hierarchy concept, because um, you only become a leader if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mention another book from crisis not very well known actually i found it through a review years ago it's from crisis to calling by sasha chanoff and david chanoff i think i gave you a copy of this book didn't i have you read it you did I've, yes 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 it's on my bookshelf just over there yeah, yeah. um it's, it's quite a short book, but i just found this book absolutely fascinating and i think it's quite a relevant one for our times it talks about leading through crisis and um really challenging so basically a quick sort of review sasha um, works with refugees and he has to go to the Congo um, and it's post Rwandan genocide and there is it's sort of the conflicts overf um, overflowed into the Congo and he's been told he has to take a certain number of refugees and they only have so many seats on this plane 
and he cannot take any more. And the previous time that they'd taken refugees had been issued. So he's under very clear instructions. You take these people and you take nobody else. Like, that's it. And he turns up at this refugee camp with his colleague and there's like hundreds of refugees there. And as soon as they see them, everyone's on them. And he almost gets mobbed because they see them as hope. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of, um, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of this refugee camp. And um, anyway, so they, they sort of register these refugees. And then at the end of their visit, they get taken to this tent where I think there's about 20, 20, 25 women and children who have, come from a death camp and they're extremely vulnerable and they're basically going to die if they don't get out of the camp and they're asked by uh, um, IRC that are there will you take them so then him and his colleague are faced with this moral dilemma of what on earth are they going to do because these human lives and they're basically told if you don't take them they're going to die um, and so he talks in this book through what he did and what I, I won't I won't tell you the outcome you've got to read the book um, but he talks through the process that he went through in making this decision and I think I found this book so fascinating because it, you know what an incredibly tough situation to be faced with and how do you what what would you do in that situation um, and he he sort of summarizes sort of his five principles for leading through um, a crisis um, and he talks about being being prepared um, and, you know, and what he means by that is not is being willing not to automatically lean to to what you've been told and what you know is being willing to to think differently and step out your comfort zone um, open your eyes to a different to a different different way of doing things confronting yourself so all of your values and what you know of yourself um, and and challenging yourself in that moment and then he talks about knowing yourself again that's really important so where your strengths are where your weaknesses are um the values that you bring and how that impacts on the decisions you make and whether those values are, are right um and he talks about moral crucibles and then he says it talks about finally take courage um so being brave to make the right decision but it's a it's a fascinating book and i i've sort of mm. it, this was a book that really had an impact on me when i read it um yeah i think it's also one that's sort of in the time that we're living in a pandemic and a crisis i think it's quite a relevant book so so it's yeah. quite a short read quite an easy read but one that um will definitely open your eyes from, from yeah. reading it it's it's fascinating i've been trying to get sasha on the podcast but he's very he's got his own organization refugee yeah. point so we've have spoken a couple times but he's obviously been very busy with the pandemic but um he did say when if he gets a moment he would love to come on so i'm yes, hoping well, let's keep some... let's keep going <laughs> keep going with that one of the things that um that's uh, jumped out to me. I read this when you gave it to me a couple mm. of years ago. Um, uh, it's the the difficulty, and uh, what went through my mind um, is the difficulty of actually working out what your values are. Mm. Really, who are you really? What type? What are your principles and your values? It, it's really it is important. If you're if you're going to take on that sort of burden, mm -hmm. you're going to be, and making a decision that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. You know, it's really important that you you understand what your principles are. But actually, getting articulating those in a sensible way, so that you can filter your decisions through them, is insanely difficult. It's interesting actually because that's values comes up a lot on leadership training or what are your values and mm. actually. 
you know, to sit there and go, right, here we go, 10 minutes, come up with your values. It's, it's, it, and, it, and your values change, I think, as well. That's the other thing. Your values can change throughout. Oh, yeah. So if, if you become a parent, there's nothing more life-changing than that. The values you had before are probably going to be very different to what. So how often do you review your values, actually? Um, and what does it mean? And you, what you think your values are might not actually be what you're living. And then you have that lack of congruence, don't you? That's where sometimes people can come up it's problems yeah. where you're like I'm really unhappy I don't feel fulfilled and then you look at it and it's like well of course I'm not going to be because these are my values and actually this is what I'm living and yeah. they, they're not yeah. they're not matching that disconnect between the choices your, your values and the choices that you make that's yeah. if there's a disconnect there then then that's a, an ideal formula for unhappiness yeah um 100 and that's where you need to potentially make some adjustments to find find a way back to fulfillment and happiness it's not not necessarily always the easiest thing or or i think um you know going back to you know the last um the last author um dealing with impossible problems and he is i mean that that the situation he faces i mean i sat there and i was like what would i do in that situation yeah. it yeah and I think, you know, it's like I said, going through the pandemic, I imagine there are doctors in the world, many people that have faced issues like he's faced in the last year. Um, you know, and basically it's like putting morality at the centre of kind of what, what you're doing. That's kind of essentially, you know, what's, what's morally the right thing to do. And actually, can you always do? How, how easy is it in situations like he was in? You're trying to balance everybody because... Well, it's, it's a balancing factor it because, may not be the only factor yeah um because the situation he was faced with was if he took these extra people would that then put everybody else at risk That's right. so it's like and you know that is an impossible situation because you're very aware that either what either thing you do someone's going to suffer yeah very difficult but that's why i think it makes such fascinating reading um particularly around leadership because yeah, yeah it really makes you think um, in, 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 in that way. And you think, oh, well, what would I do? And how would I respond to that situation? Um, and actually, how am I showing up? So yeah, definitely a fascinating read. And then quickly, just one, one for motivation, just for if you ever need a bit of really good, something that's gonna motivate you, David, Cog David Goggins can't hurt me. Now, if you haven't heard of David Goggins, he's, he's often described as the hardest man in the world. He's an ex-Navy SEAL ultra runner and he is another level of um insane um he did three navy um three navy seal seal weeks which is like one of the hardest weeks in coming into the navy seals and he's just relentless he has this relentless relentless need to get better push himself and he talks about we all only ever use 40 percent of our potential um and uh he talks about our brain basically our mind will stop us at 40 percent when our body's in pain because it's like no, no 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 this is this is too far out of our comfort zone he's like you've got to push through that um so it is quite an ex he is quite extreme but i i you know i think you will finish that book with if you just need a bit of a boost in your motivation this book is very motivational because it's very much about everything is in your mind and mm. it's about how far you can push your mind so it's not less about sort of organizational leadership and more about leading yourself basically yes i haven't read this one i have to confess this is one i haven't read but i have watched some of his um motivational talks 
on uh, you know YouTube and and where he's been interviewed in a few podcasts as well. And um, he he does present as being a bit of a lunatic. <laughs> I mean, quite he's, he's extreme in how he is, but he's achieved some amazing things. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and we're both ultra runners, and the stuff he has is just defies. Def- you know device he's he's going to run 100 miles without any training and without the appropriate nutrition which as an ultra runner i'm like oh my god why would you do that to yourself <laughs> um but fascinating um and he you know he overcame a very difficult childhood i think is to say and became very you know he's exceeded his potential numerous times and keeps on pushing so I think it's just a great book. If you are just someone that's struggling with a bit of motivation, you're going for a goal and you're just really, you just want a bit of inspiration. I, I'd, I'd say it'd be very difficult not to get some something from this book for your own mindset. It's, and he has as well little, um, little activities at the end of each chapter to so little challenges for you to do for yourself. So it is- Run, run 100 miles without it. <laughs> No, not quite like that, but sort of he has like stand in the mirror and have a good, honest conversation with yourself about your strengths and your weaknesses. And he talks about, you know, you've really got to get clear with what your weaknesses are and master, you know, it's about understanding them because if you don't understand or face your weaknesses, you're going to limit yourself because we all have weaknesses, but it's just knowing what they are. And he talks about taking souls as well, which is, is, you probably would, he probably would have mentioned that in some of the videos. Um, So yeah, just a great, motivational book quite extreme but uh fascinating fascinating yeah. mindset of, an, of someone that is you know probably an extremist in terms of physical achievement or like that i i think i think what's it really what i do think there is you know what, what i mean if, if you're not an ultra runner and that sort of thing you might be thinking why on earth would i take <laughs> take any inspiration from this because he's quite a physical character isn't he David yeah Robinson. it's quite a physical yeah um, focus that he has but i think his actually um the wider the wider message is that um people are always far more resilient than they think they are exactly and um actually you know if, so, so if your goals are ambitious or or your you know your um your, your job is very demanding um it's highly likely that the reason the only reason you would fail is because you give up mm. rather than because you can't yes. actually do it yes exactly that that's basically what he talks about is that 40 yeah. percent at 40 percent we give up and actually we see yeah. 60 percent left in us it's about being willing to push through that yeah just that's right just uh, just yes that's right and um yeah how much of you know if you think oh, i've had enough i'm fed up i'm tired don't want to do this anymore um it's it's how much of that is real yeah because you, you know and how much of it is just you know your own kind of um self-perceptions and beliefs yeah. and i think it is healthy it's better i think it's it I, I really do yes so i'm 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 i'm, I'm talking myself around on this one um, <laughs> i think it's very important to challenge those beliefs you know yeah. th- those beliefs are not who we are we yeah. can we can question them and we can challenge them and mm-hmm. people like david coggins with his 100 mile run without any nutrition um, barefoot or whatever um <laughs> it suggests that um it, it, it's in, inspiring because it, it mm-hmm. means because i think it does encourage us to challenge our our um, beliefs that are self-limiting yes exactly exactly that to question, so. to question interrogate those 
yeah it's a great book so that's four books we reviewed there. So that will keep you busy yeah, <laughs> if you want to go. Give any re- I'll put a note of the books on on the on the podcast page. Um, I hope you find that helpful and useful. Alex, you've been fantastic as ever. Um, yes. Sharing your well, thoughts. We could do another one. We could do another book review. I mean, there are so many great, you know, yeah, um, inspiring yeah. um, bodies of work out there. Um, I. Uh, I've just um, one I'd, I'd, that I would like to talk about maybe another day is um, Caitlin Walker's book from Contempt to Curiosity. Mm. That was a good one. Um, and also uh, perhaps the work of David Marquette. So if anybody um, yeah, is, uh, is, is um, listening into this, um, you know, uh, and you have any, you know, you have any recommendations as well, um, then mm, just true. if you could share those with us, um, then we would we would be we'll we'll take a look and um we'll do our homework and maybe talk about yeah. those as well yes definitely um we're both avid readers and um, lockdowns yeah. made me a proper book geek um so yeah share your thoughts with us we'd love to hear them and um happy reading everybody thank you for listening thank you alex for another great um podcast and we'll yeah, be back you. with you again soon